All right, welcome back to a bonus episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to uh, release some of the archive that we found from when we were the sci-fi shenanigans. Uh, we're going to get those up there for, for the posts that were brought down. We thought you might enjoy them. Um, and so without further ado, let us uh, let us roll that beautiful... Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity. Over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast with your hosts, Bear Handley and me, Chris Winder. Just two nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions. A place where the sky's the limit, space is the place, and nerds run the world. Without further ado. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We're back with our um, anthology interview series that we're doing. So uh, we'll air them as soon as uh, Chris can edit them, hence the reason I'm by myself, because we needed to do this as quickly as we could. Um, and today, as our special guest, is M.D. Cooper. Um, M.D. Cooper is a lover of night skies, a man who stares endlessly at the stars and planets as he dreams of what will someday be humanity's home. The kind of author who imagines a future where we have stretched out into the stars, discovering new worlds and new beauty. He lets these dreams have uh, come to life in the series of books in a world called Aeon 14. Um, did I pronounce that right? Yep. <clears throat> all right. All right. Perfect. Need. Um, so these characters that fill his universe live in a future where there is no faster than light travel and no teleporters. However, humans have created structures as large as moons and shifted planets. They share the minds with AIs and talk to one another almost telepathically, yet they are still human. They still laugh. They still love. They still tell tales. And that is his universe. All right. So unless you changed radically from when you put that on Amazon, did I get it right? Pretty close, yeah. I don't think I'm much much different than I was then. I just have more books to show for it. <laughs> no, he's been taken over by the cyborgs. All right. right. Um, do you consider them cyborg if they're if they're enhanced that way? Like, where do you draw the line? I know this is off off script, but um, it's it's cyborg isn't a word that the that, that's used very often in my universe. Sometimes some people will will use it periodically, but for them. The vast majority of people are, are they, they just refer to them as mods, and um, everybody pretty much has some level of mods done to them. Um, there's there's almost no one that we would consider to be like a stock human. So for them to say like, you know, one person has four uh, prosthetic limbs, one person has one, one person just has like, you know, um, uh, a modified gastrointestinal system. For them, it's all sort of just uh, what they consider to be just the natural evolution of humanity to, to, start to modify yourself and improve yourself in, in just about any way possible. It's amazing how quickly humans can adapt to what we call normal. Is we well, just have to look at how we deal with cell phones and and the change of how technology has changed our lives. You know, ten years ago, everything that we that we consider to be normal now didn't exist. It's so, very true. Yeah. 
All right. So the second part of the introduction to your listeners, I tell how I found them. So I actually first found uh, Michael Cooper, M.D. Cooper, uh, when Terry Mixon recommended his first Aeon 14 novel. Uh, I've since seen him around the indie author forums. Uh, We met in Vegas and the rest is history. And um, if you want to learn how to do the author side of things, he has a few classes for you. Or you could just read his book. He's okay with that, too. Yep. Totally. All right. So. So let's get into this uh, this anthology. Uh, your story was in the Backblast Area Clear, a military science fiction anthology. So what was it titled? Uh, the title was was uh, Rika Crucible. All right. So what's the basic synopsis of that, the Rika's Crucible, uh, without giving any spoilers away, obviously? Sure. So so the Rika stories follow um, – I mentioned just a moment ago that people are, are very modded in, in the Aeon 14 future. That uh, – there's a quote, and I'm going to forget who said it now. I thought I think it might be Arthur C. Clarke who said, "The future is here; it's just not distributed evenly." Um, that is also true in the future that I'm writing in. There are some places where you could get um, half your chest blown away, and you know, in a couple of days, you'll be sipping mai tais on the beach on the beach because their their level of technology is so good that they can quite literally grow that much of your body that quickly and, and reintegrate it. There are other places where if you lose a finger, you're not going to have a finger for the rest of your life, type of thing. Um, so it's, it's very, it's, there's a very large spread. Rika comes from a place, um, where their technology isn't quite that good, but they're desperately fighting a war that they're losing. So they're now starting to turn, uh, rather than using battle armor and having to maintain both soldiers and armor, they're just combining them into one because it's slightly more efficient for them to just to make what you refer to as like a cyborg warrior, um, than it is to, uh, to maintain a, a human and keep them in perfect health and then maintain armor that they can get in and out of. It's much easier just to make the two things into one. Um, and they're not really that, uh, conscientious about how they're doing it. So they're just pretty much grabbing people off the street and saying, guess what? You're in the military now and you're not going to have any arms or legs anymore. Um, type of thing. And it depends on the type of of armor they get put into what gets done to them. Rika is a a scout mech. And for that, they picked very small, lithe women that don't weigh that much. They can then put a lot of armor on them and still have them be small and function as, as, um, good infiltrators and, uh, and, um, scout infantry. And so, uh, and Rika didn't volunteer for this. So this is a lot of the stories about Rika are about how she deals with the fact that she now, you know, she was, was forcibly modified against her will and, and forced to serve. Um, and at the same time, sort of finding a group of people within the military that she can bond with and sort of form a sisterhood with and, um, and kind of, and use that as the way to keep herself going because all of the, her type of mech, all of them are all women. So they're, so her, her group is a, is a small fire team that's, that's uh, women only. And this story is about um, a new person joining the team after uh, a previous team member had died. All right. So what was the inspiration for this short story? Well, the, the inspiration was, um, there's another short story I have called Rika Mechanized, which follows a, an engagement she had where, where this other team member had died. And I decided I wanted to sort of talk, think about, how they would deal with both the the death of the old team member being very recent, in fact, just their last deployment, and then on this new deployment, suddenly they have a new team member, and they'd also previously also lost someone, so they were down to just two people on their fire team, and now they're back up to three, and how they're going to deal with the fact that they've got this new person who um, who is an uh, what they call the you know they they have a version of um, FNG that are FNM, it's fucking new mechs, and they. Uh, they, you know, they, they, they're typically indoctrinated and they go through a, a virtual simulation boot camp. And this one they get didn't even have that. So they've got this young girl who has been turned into a mech and doesn't know anything, basically. And they have to keep her alive now in an engagement. I want, so I want to show sort of what that would be like for them, sort of a little bit of the, you know, 
of, of what we all sort of, for those of us who weren't in the military, saw in a lot of the movies like Platoon and whatnot, where you're watching these guys, you know, trying to deal with, with, um, with new people coming in into their unit and hoping that that trying to keep that new person alive, but also knowing that if they, if that new person could be the one that gets them all killed, if that, if they screw up. Okay. So does this fit into a larger universe or does this story standalone? It sounds like you answered that already, but well, why yeah. don't you clarify? Sure. Yeah. It, it does fit into a larger universe. Everything that I write is actually all part of the same, uh, Aeon 14 universe. Um, but I did write this as much as possible to be a standalone story that would kind of introduce a, a reader to um, Tarika, where she where she fits into the the universe and the and the struggles that she's in, and then from there one can branch out and read more of more of her stories, and then maybe move on elsewhere in the universe and see what else is out there as well. I should note, by the way, all right, with uh, with Aeon fourteen, I technically the English pronunciation of that word would be Eon, but uh, the I'm going with the Latin pronunciation, so that's why that's why I'm calling it Aeon, just in case anybody wonders why I say that. All right. So uh, in case readers haven't um, read your larger universe yet, could you give us the Reader's Digest version of what is the Aeon, or Eon if they want to be proper American, uh, <laughs> Aeon 14 universes? Sure. So it's one of the things I was thinking about, and I've, I've been building this universe now for, for about 11 years. Um, I spent, I spent two, two years researching um, all of the science that I wanted to establish before I started writing. Because one of the things that drives me nuts is you read a story, and it becomes very obvious that the author is is didn't didn't think things through in advance too much and at a certain point once maybe once they beat the first big bad guy or something like that suddenly a new bad guy emerges who's even bigger and worse than the previous bad guy but there was no prior reference to him you know he just sort of appeared out of nowhere and um and i feel like and there's there's things at that level and there's also things like where, where worlds or systems or or different factions didn't weren't around before and i wanted to make sure that when i started this series it was going to be really apparent to the reader that they were seeing just a tiny sliver of a vast world and then bit by bit as they read they would see more and more of it but and not and not feel like the whole thing was just dumped on them uh, or sort of like things new things were dumped on them without any sort of any sort of hint that they were going to be there so I, I did all i did a lot of work on that i did a lot of work on on the science behind it thinking about how humanity would uh, expand and, and move forward and the sorts of things we discover and um and then i then i started crafting the stories that would fit into that universe so what i'm really trying to do is i'm trying to create a future or, or imagine a future i should say where ev almost everything that we think might happen does actually happen and then work it all into a long time frame like you know how how we would explore the galaxy how fast and light travel would work um how civilizations would would fracture and spread and stuff like that and so I like to, to describe Aeon 14 as, as a future history for humanity. Okay. So uh, given that this story is military science fiction, is the rest of the universe that, that, that the story slides into MIL-SF as well? The majority of it is, yeah. Um, majority of the, the stories follow a character named Tannis Richards who, um, who's been throughout, through a number of experiences has sort of been skipping through time a little bit. And she's at a point right now where she's got to stop a, a galactic war from occurring. Um, and uh, sort of by creating a galactic war is kind of how she's doing it without giving away too many spoilers. So the, there is always a lot of military stuff mixed into the books. There are some other stories, though, that are not, that focus more on colonization efforts, on, um, on how they terraform worlds, series like that. Some series are just about like bounty hunters or pirates and whatnot. But the interesting thing is they do actually all fit together. So... Um, eventually all of the characters either interact with one another or they might interact with a character that then interacts with them with um, with the other characters so you're, you'll actually eventually see this this tapestry of all of these different events and actually how they're all feeding into this one uh, culmination where, where humanity tries to stop killing itself all the time 
<laughs> is effectively what's going so on. So basically, your series has the 12 degrees of Tannis Richards? Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. And Enrique is a character so that, do you ha- that comes into contact with Tannis before too long as well. Perfect. So do you have um, some sort of chart, since there are so many books out, where some sort of mm-hmm. flow sheet, something where a reader could look at it and say, okay, this is how I'm going to start? Yep. I have a, if you actually look around on Amazon or even on other retailers, there's a, a book called the Aeon 14 Reading Guide that actually outlines the different eras in Aeon 14 and the right reading orders for each era and then suggests the place to start and, uh, and to dive in from there as well. All right. I will, um, we've been trying to keep these interviews, dear listeners, short enough that they're in no show notes. But since this is um, a tie in directly to his universe, um, I will get the Aeon 14 reader's guide in his show notes as well great so that way if you are intrigued you can um you can look it up and figure out where to go from there so um this story is obviously military science fiction so mm-hmm. what is it about that subgenre of of science fiction that appeals to you well i think i think it's um it's always fun to take to take a, a regular person and show how they can they can rise above their circumstances and become a hero um or and, and by hero, maybe not being like, you know, the person who, who does like amazing things, but the person who is, you know, true to themselves, protects their teammates, um, and, and is, is generally an admirable person versus, you know, maybe not like, like Iron Man or like that, but more like a, a smaller character who can still be very heroic. And I think military science fiction is really good for that, um, in that you can, you can go down to like, you know, uh, an individual infantryman uh, or infantrywoman and, and show them specifically and how life is for them. And um, and really tell a personal story that um, that that I think uh, is is great. And the other aspect of it is that military science fiction does lend itself very well to hard science fiction, which I'm a I'm a very big proponent of of getting the science right and the facts right. Because you know, in military science fiction, you have to think like, okay, what is their weaponry? How does it function? How much energy does it deliver? Um, how do you carry? What kind of ammo does it take? How much ammo you know do you need to actually you know effectively um, you know work in an engagement? And um, and that, that is actually, I think it's a great thing because then you can really get into the science of like, okay, well, how are we going to defeat, solve this problem with the tools at hand? Um, and, you know, do we, can we, can we call in a starship from orbital strike and how much, how much, uh, what's it going to fire? How fast does that round travel? What's it going to, what energy is it going to hit with? I love that sort of stuff because, and I, I don't put it into the story that much, but I find that it really informs the story. Like, okay, if I've got an or, a ship, ship orbiting at a certain distance and it fires um, a, a rail shot with a tungsten round or something like that, the planet. Um, how, how long will it take to get there? Is it going to take five minutes? Is it going to take three minutes to come down? And then I know like how the action is going to go in those three minutes, you know, what they're going to have to do, how long they have to get out of there after they call on the hit the shot or something like that. And I, so I love the fact that I can take all of that real world stuff and I can fit it in. And some people, they, they look at that and they think, um, they think it's like they're, they're, they they say, well, I don't want to write science fiction like that. And I say, well, would you write, Bill, you couldn't write a thriller without knowing how long it took to fly from uh, London to New York. You know, you have to know these things in my mind to be able to tell a good story. And if I, if you wrote a thriller novel on planet earth where it only took an hour and a half to fly from London to New York, everybody's going to call bullshit on that because it's not, it's not true. So you have to really know how, how long these things take and how it all works and whatnot. And, um, and that's why I think, I think that hard science fiction and military science fiction really gel well together because they both require you to have a really firm understanding of how everything really works. And then, and then you get to use that to craft a great story. Outstanding. So last question before we wrap this show up is um, which military science fiction unit from any franchise, including your own, would you want to serve under and why? Hmm. That's a really good question. I mean, it always, 
I always kind of want to serve in, would have wanted to serve in Rico's Roughnecks um, in, you know, from, from Starship Troopers, but they didn't really have a very good survival rate. <laughs> so I don't know that that would be the sort of unit I'd want to go into. I have to say, actually, eventually Rika has her own, her own uh, unit called Rika's Marauders. And uh, I think I actually wouldn't mind serving under Rika. She's a she's a, a she's a commander who really cares about the about her individual troops and isn't isn't the sort to leave anyone behind ever. So I think that uh, it would a they kick a lot of ass and, and b the survivability that the rate that they have is pretty good. That makes sense. So for Rico's Roughnecks, are you referring to them in the as they're portrayed in the movie or the books or the book? Excuse me. Um, I guess sometimes I think more about the movie. But I guess in the books they did have a better survival rate, didn't they? They didn't get they didn't get they did. mowed down quite as much as they did in the movies. <laughs> Well, in the movie, they had uh, was it basically just rubber armor? <laughs> yeah, they they were not doing well against the bugs in the movie. Whereas, yeah, in the books, they had powered armor, and you you did a lot better. But if I remember correctly, when they went to Clendathu in the book, they didn't they didn't fare too well as well. They did not. Yeah. So, all right. So that's uh, that's an interesting answer, and I like uh, why you justified uh, with Rico's Marauders. Um, some of us picked. Uh, well, all of us that have picked so far, because you're our fifth interview, mm-hmm. um, were based purely on would I die. So, like the Emberverse, they die too quickly. Richard Fox's books are out, <laughs> but but maybe Star Trek, you could live. <laughs> <laughs> well, the nice thing too about like about my books is that you you do stand a very good chance of living because their medical technology is really good. As long as your brain doesn't get smushed, you're probably going to survive. That's that's all, always encouraging when you're picking what unit you want to serve under. It is, yeah. So uh, before we. Before we let you go, Michael, can you tell us how listeners can find you? Certainly. Uh, one of the best places to find me is on Facebook. I have a fan group that's called uh, Aeon14Fans. So it's just facebook.com slash groups slash Aeon14Fans. Um, my, my fans and I, we hang out in there quite a bit. It's, it's a pretty – it's probably – the group probably gets between um, five and ten posts a day. And most of it from the fans actually talking about science fiction, stuff they're reading about Aeon14. It's a very – and a lot of stuff about science too, cool things that that's be, are being discovered. Um, you can find me on Instagram uh, as MD Cooper. And um, also you can always go to aon14.com and check out all of the books that are there. Drop me a line in the contact form there, whatever you'd like. Outstanding. All right. So those will be in the show notes and you can find us at our uh, website is www.sfshenanigans.com. Our Twitter is at SFS underscore show Sierra Fox hot Sierra underscore show. Our email is podcast at sfshenanigans.com and our Facebook group is facebook.com backslash groups backslash SF shenanigans. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Chris Winder, I'm J.R. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the... uh, in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.